Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello and welcome, my friends, to episode 3-286 of the Run Run Live podcast. At the time, I thought it was a great idea. I told the people that I work with that whenever I go to a conference, I like to run in the morning. And I know these days that there are a handful of others with my affliction, and wouldn't it be a grand idea for us to have an organized group run in the mornings, during our yearly customer conference. As I was sitting on the hotel bed in Atlanta, sweating from a fever last week, it didn't seem like such a great idea to be getting up at 5 a.m. to lead a group run in Piedmont Park. The virus that my loving children had gifted me when they came home from spring break morphed into some sort of devilish flu that lasted most of two weeks since we last talked. And this is our company's big event of the calendar, over 200 of our customers from all over the world, with whom I have built personal and professional relationships, are in attendance. Breakfast starts at 7 a.m., and dinners and drinks carry on into the evening. Not something I can call in sick for. Can you picture me? propped up in a sitting position with pillows in the hotel bed so I can sleep without coughing, sweating a fever into the sheets and then rolling out before dawn to jog a week 5K in the park? Yeah. Amazingly enough, I made it down to the lobby each day. I got seven runners the first day and I got five the second. And I think that's amazing. How much has the corporate world changed since when I started? that I have professionals from all over the country willing to roll out of bed, wanting to roll out of bed, to jog with me before the sun peaks over the horizon. It was like your typical running club experience. There were a couple guys who took off hard and pounded out a slug fest against each other. There was the group of steady mid-packers, and there was me with the stragglers bringing up the rear, because I told them I wouldn't abandon anybody in the park. That was part of our deal. Here we are three weeks out from Boston, and my training is, well, half dead and not showing any signs of reanimation. I'm keeping at it, but I lost another two weeks of quality to the flu and the services for my dad last week. My ankle sprain is still there to remind me not to toe off, and I've got an extra 10 or 15 pounds strapped around my midsection for stability. I told Eric uh, this week that my body is rejecting marathon training like a diseased liver transplant. It's going to be a long day on Monday the 21st for me. But like they say, if life gives you lemons, you can use the juice and a couple of copper pennies to make a homemade battery to power your cell phone during the zombie apocalypse. They say that, don't they? Maybe you could put a positive spin on it by saying, I'm well tapered. (laughs) I'll just get out there on the course and run walk the crap out of it, meet some people, 
have some fun, and be done with marathons for a while. I keep forgetting that even in my current fat, sick, and broken state, I'm still in better shape than most of the people on the planet. Today, we have an interview with our old friend Joe Beers, who, besides acting weirdly syncophantic, it's okay, I like the love, is running all the New England states in a single week, more or less. It's an interesting concept. I'll bet we have a whole series of these events, these type of events, pop up where someone constructs a marathon series that they're geographically co-located in the corners where all the states come together. If you engineered it correctly, you, you could probably get at least 48 states into a year. It's a simple multivariable traveling salesman problem. We could solve it with a little linear programming. Anyhow, Joe's a great guy, and he's running all these states for the Girls on the Run, who I think I interviewed the founder a couple of years back. Excellent charity to enable the future young women of our world with running as a keystone habit. When you get back from your run, go visit Joe's page on Facebook. It's called the Beers Marathon Challenge, and the link will be in the show notes. In Section 1, we think through how to differentiate yourself in a value exchange. In Section 2, we talk through a couple tips to tackle that Boston Marathon course we all love. It is exceedingly easy to become inwardly focused in times of stress and difficulty and challenge. It's our dinosaur response to close the shutters of our perception and hide. We feel out of control and vulnerable, but it doesn't have to be so. The people looking in to us do not feel our angst or see our burden. They don't know our trials. They still look to us for leadership, and it's our unique opportunity to lead in hard times. It's entirely possible to remember the simple thing that it is not about you. I mean, I saw people this week looking at photos, and they always say, look at my hair, or that's a terrible picture of me, even though there's six other people in the photo. Nobody's looking at your hair. It's human nature to see a reflection of ourselves in everything. It's the ego. But you will see more more than your own reflection, if you pause to look into the eyes of another and truly focus and listen to them and hear them and ask, how can I help? Most of the time, they just want to be recognized and understood. And you will gain much from this. Just remember, it's not about you. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Understanding your value in a value exchange, it starts with you. I have worked mentoring professional salespeople in my various management roles over the years. One of the things you often hear in the context of sales is the concept of value exchange. It's useful for us to dive a little deeper into this concept and see how we can use it to our advantage. Maybe we can learn something. In theory, the value exchange is when I give you something of value, like my product, and you trade me something of value, like money. But the actual value exchange in a business environment is far more nuanced. And this is true whether you're in sales or not. Any and all interactions can potentially involve a value exchange. And how nuanced is the value exchange? It's more than just products and services and bags of coins. I may be sharing my knowledge and experience, which has value. 
you may be exchanging your time and trust, which also has value. When you understand these nuances, it helps you to position yourself within the value exchange. It helps you to build a value proposition that goes beyond the product and or service you are selling and allows you to differentiate yourself and your value at a deeper level. Why do you care about differentiating at a deeper level beyond product and service? Because in any situation where there is a value exchange, the market forces will always try to commoditize your value. Buyers will try to get better economics by standardizing and commoditizing you, grouping you with your competition as if there is no differentiating value. They want to eliminate every value factor except price and then force that down. If you cannot differentiate your value, you cannot expect a premium. And it's a race to the bottom on price. And that's not a game you want to play in. Surprisingly, sellers will even commoditize their own value by standardizing their products and sales processes. The assumption is that a standard process has less cost, more predictability, and therefore higher margins in the value exchange. This is true, but only to the extent that the standard process enhances value to the buyer. It ceases to be true when the standardization removes differentiating value. You have to be wary of unintended consequences. What is a poor business person to do in the face of the onslaught of forces trying to commoditize the value exchange? Well, the solution is simple. There is one value that is directly under your control that cannot be commoditized. That is the personal value that you bring to the value exchange. This is an area that you can always differentiate in. First, you have to do some self-discovery to find out what your value is. What are your strengths? What are the stories that you are proud of in your history of value exchange? Where have you made a difference? This is your unique value. From this, you construct your unique story and your approach. These are the things that you should be practicing and polishing and bringing to the forefront of your interaction with your value exchange partners, your knowledge, your energy, your experience, your enthusiasm. All are things that can create a positive value gap above and beyond product and service. By bringing this value add, your personal value, to the exchange partner, they will trade other valuable but intangible goods in turn. You will gain their trust, their time, and access to their world. And it is in this intangible value exchange that the other tangible value exchange will be won. This is something that you continually work on. You must consistently focus on bringing a differentiated and valuable personal value add to the interaction. This cannot be taken away from you or commoditized. This personal value add is independent of and portable across products and services and companies. How do you build this value add? The first step, like I said, is self-assessment. What are your strengths? How do those strengths add value in the process? How does your target audience, the people you're trying to exchange value with, how do they value your strengths? What are examples from your career where you have brought differentiating value to a partner? What are you proud of? Can you tell that story in a compelling way? What is the difference? 
Instead of saying, hi, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Bob. I represent the ABC Widget Company, and we think we have the best widgets in the industry. You might say, hi, I'm Bob. And when I'm successful, I lead my customers through a process where I use my strategic thinking skills to find solutions that they may not have imagined. Let me tell you a story. And with your permission, I'd like to see if I could do the same with you. I'm making this up off the cuff, but you get the idea. If you can change the conversation, humanize it to your specific personal value in the transaction, you cannot be commoditized. Expand this concept of value exchange to your community, your family, your relationships. How do you stop playing a role that has been defined for you and create your own role that leverages your personal strengths in that process, in that relationship, and in that transaction? If you choose to play along and let the world commoditize you, then frankly, we don't need you. We can hire robots and smart monkeys to follow standard processes. Don't get caught in that trap. We may say that we want to commoditize and standardize, but we really don't. We want that special value that only you can bring. We want your strengths and your A-game because that becomes differentiating value to us on our side of the table. And that is the true value exchange. And now for today's featured interview. So, Joe Beers. That's it. How are you? I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me. We used to have so much fun doing those <laughs> those parodies in Run Run Live uh, 1.0 and 2.0. Yes. I, I remember you did a passable uh, Captain James T. Kirk for me once. That's right. And uh, I was a doctor yeah. for a Tara Humara. One that, the, the, um, I think it was the backwards running as opposed to barefoot. That was pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, the backwards running. And the... Uh, I called him the Tiramisu Indian. <laughs> yeah, I had to do a couple takes on that one because I was laughing through it. <laughs> so we got to get back there. I got to get some humor back in this podcast. We're getting too serious. <laughs> so you've been, you and I have been uh, sort of virtual friends for five years, and I met you in the meat form, in the protein form, yep. uh, only this year. In uh, was it October, November? Yeah, October, I think. Yeah, we uh, Denver. Denver. Control. Yeah. Yeah, I had a way better race than I thought I was going to have. Oh, man. Yeah, when I saw your – well, by the time I finished and we started – I got to my phone at the uh, bag pickup. You were already uh, like two beers in and we're heading back to your hotel. And I, was, I, had, yeah, I had run um, a marathon the weekend before, so I was pretty much toast. So I just – I suffered through that one, but I, you know, it was, it was nice to finish that one. Yeah, it was it was cool. I hooked up with a couple of youngsters, and we just held the uh, zone two pace. I ended up running like a – like a 345, no muss, no fuss. Yeah. It's a fun so course. Fun course. Yeah. Yeah. The altitude didn't affect me uh, as much as I thought it was going to. Yeah. So maybe because I was there for, well, actually, now I flew in Saturday night, so I didn't have that much time to actually adjust. But so much travel. You're found- so much travel. Yeah, and your foundation is just ridiculous. I, I was listening to your show the other day, and you were, you know, just talking about, you know, it's been two weeks, and my training's suffering, and I've got tired legs, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners... Are thinking the same thing I am. It's like your base is ridiculous, and 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 you know I I know that you've got that foundation. It's just that's just unbelievable with a what forty uh, resting heart rate. So <laughs> thirty six. I think you would have to like literally not run for a year to really. I mean I know you lose. You, you can 
you can lose it pretty quick, but you also get it back like in a snap, right? When you're when you're off your feet. Well, not so much when you get over fifty, by Fred. But <laughs> I'll tell you what I'll tell you what you don't lose is you don't lose the mental aspect, right? So right. after thirty or forty marathons, you get out there in that you know twenty-two mile mark and and sh- the shit's falling apart. It doesn't bother you. It's like okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Been there. Yep. Yeah. This is gonna hurt, but okay. <laughs> let's 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 manage it. Right. So um, you're doing something crazy. Hopefully this wasn't anything of my doing. No. Wow, man. <laughs> well, I, I've run uh, I've run two back-to-back marathons. You know, the very popular uh, the double marathon. I've done that a couple times now, and I'm I'm one of those uh, wacky 50 staters. So I'm slowly because you know financial and travel is difficult to do the 50 states. But I'm at uh, 29 states now, and. All right. uh, yeah, and I, I've done a couple of the doubles where I ran. Uh, last year, I did Washington D.C. Uh, on a Saturday, and then drove to North Carolina and ran a trail marathon on Sunday. So I've done a couple of those, and this year I just kind of wanted to do something a little bit more challenging, a little bit more epic. And so I've found something online called the New England Challenge, where it's uh, starting on Monday. They've got five sanctioned marathons that they do starting in Maine. And then it goes uh, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts. And then for the really stupid people like me, you can then take Saturday off and then jump on uh, the Shires of Vermont Marathon on Sunday for a total of six marathons in six states in seven days. And I just, you know, this was December when I'm feeling doughy and I'm kind of feeling, you know, uninspired. So I, I have to give myself that challenge, that goal to kind of jumpstart myself and I signed up. So yeah, and then yeah, I listening to you and your 12 marathons and in a year, in, you know, a marathon a month quest definitely is inspiring and I've been listening very closely. I've been listening to you for, you know, 5 years now. So, uh I just just love your show. Um and I and you're with me every week on a long run. And so when I actually met you, I kind of it was a, it was a strange feeling. I wanted to give you a hug or something because <laughs> you, well, you've just gotten me through so many runs and, and your ups and your downs and, and, you know, and I'm even, you know, I'm invested in unicorns now too. I'm invested in your journey there. Um, oh, you haven't listened to the latest one then. Oh, oh um, the one with the interview with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was tremendous. Listening to that was, was tremendous. Uh, how, how cool that you did that and that, you know, how many people look back, you know, and say, I wish I had that, that that's better than a picture. That interview is better than a picture or a, or a memento. I mean, that's that's forever, man. That's just pretty. Yeah, cool. I haven't listened to it yet. So. Oh, Chris. <laughs> oh, it's just great because the thing. I'm kind that, of afraid to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just, and on his birthday too. That was it. Was just a. It's a great episode. So so yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not the uh, your usual guest here. I'm definitely kind of just a, a fanboy. But um, you know, you had mentioned uh, on my Facebook. I, I made a page for this uh, marathon challenge. Um, and you said, Hey, any help? And, and, uh, I just took you up on your offer. Um, just trying to be, uh, proactive about the fundraising. And so with the fundraising, I, I decided that I, if I'm going to do this big thing, why not, you know, pay it forward and, and give back? And, uh, I, real quick, and you always say 200 words or less, which I think I can do. I grew oh, up. I think you're over. I'm going to have to stop you. Ah! You're over. <laughs> I've been keeping track. It was 213 and a half. Man. 
And then you I don't can know ask you wanna... me at the end, what, what have I learned? Yeah. I can't tell you what I learned until I finish the runs, I guess. One of those might have been a contraction, so I'll give you that one. <laughs> um, no, go ahead. So yeah, you're running uh, for Girls uh, Girls on the Run Colorado. Yeah, Girls on the Run, run of the Rockies, which is yeah. uh, the Denver-based affiliate. And Girls on the Run is a national orga- organization with uh, chapters all over the country. And, you know, I grew up a fat kid. Uh, I grew up, you know, fighting my weight and not being as athletic. I played baseball, but, you know, I was uh, stuck on first base because I was the fat kid who could hit the ball really far but was crappy at running. So, um, you know, most of my should have been triples were singles because I was fat and slow. But then, you know, about 15 years ago, I took up running and uh, right around age 30. And, you know, the rest is history. It's the cliche of I became addicted to it, became addicted to running and Dropped 40 pounds, and it's uh, made a big difference. So Girls on the Run is a great organization, and I have uh, two daughters, and we're going. my wife and I are going to be coaches uh, eventually at, uh, our daughter's, um, at our daughter's school. They do a, a third grade to fifth grade program. So once uh, our older daughter gets into third grade here soon, we're going to uh, start coaching and being a part of the group. But I thought, no time like the present, so doing this fundraising thing. It's it's exciting and it's fun and I'm just glad to be a part of it. And and actually, you know, I'm going to do something with blogging too with after every race, Monday through Friday and then Sunday in Vermont, do some pictures and uh, do a little blog entry. So all that's going to be available for people that donate and follow the Facebook page. That's about it. That's about it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think I remember interviewing that lady who started that organization, right? Oh, wow. The Girls on the Run. I really like it because it's giving the girls a gift, you know, something that they can have forever. Yeah. So even if even if they don't take it up, you know, and don't fall in love with running, and they'll always remember that they that's a possibility. It's out there, you know. Right. So it's it's really enabling. They talk a lot about how it's not even about the running; it's about the you know the self esteem. It's just it helps girls become healthy and confident. It's an experience-based curriculum. So running is definitely a big part of it, but it's really kind of what it does to a girl's, a young girl's self-esteem and, you know, kind of gives them that sense of community, you know, and that they, that they, can, they don't have to uh, feel alone. It's just kind of it's, uh, all about community, which is what running has always been. It's certainly been that for me, and I know it's a big part of you as well. So this um, New England Challenge... I hadn't heard about this before until I, I looked at the website. This, so what this guy did, some guy, I don't even know, the, I don't know the guy, which is surprising because I know most of the guys. I probably do know him. Well, I he's just in, don't remember. He's him. out of Florida, Chris. Oh, okay. So he's he's decided there's a captive market of 50 staters. Yeah. And he realized that New England is a small area. You know, we're a bunch of little tiny states. Yep. So that if you were to organize five marathons you could do it with only driving about 100 miles yep and and that's what he's done he's organized these and they're and they're not name brand marathons they're like marathons he invented and they they run in parks and stuff yep and i think they're even different distances some of them but uh, they're all they're all official right oh yeah the loops the, they're all done in parks and they're all about a 10k loop but they're there some are seven some are five they're all different on the loops and then you have to do like a little out and back at the end to make sure you get the distance. And he packages in the travel too, right? The like the hotels and the everything to sort of do it on the cheap, so the fifty staters can come in and knock out five states. Yep, I mean that's he definitely offers that as an option. Um, I, having traveled a lot for a living, and then also having done a lot of these states already, I am definitely I enjoy I enjoy the logistical part of it. I enjoy finding 
uh, the right hotel and then deciding, you know, when I'm going to travel to the next one and where I'm going to stay. So they definitely have all that on the website and I'm kind of doing it my own, my, in my own way as well and using yeah. Yeah. Hotel points, et cetera. That's awesome. Cause, and the other thing is these races only have – they have less than 100 people in them. Yep. It's 100. Actually, it's 100 is the cutoff, and I think three of the five are already at max for marathon. They added a half marathon to all of them because I didn't know this, Chris, but I guess the half marathon 50-staters is now becoming a growing organization. So that's yeah. – now that's the – Yeah. Pretty soon it will be yeah. the, five, the 5K 50-staters. Uh, <laughs> a, it's a race to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so, I, no it's going the other way too you oh. get the 50 milers and the 100 milers too so it's not I'm, I'm just kidding it's it's an expansion of the sport the demographics are widening <laughs> and then that uh no pun intended that that race in vermont i ran that last year the yeah. shires i ran that was the first one last year yeah and that's an awesome race it's really pretty it's mostly dirt roads oh great and it's a it's a net downhill um, so great. And there's some parts of it that are that go where my Garmin just wouldn't find a satellite. <laughs> that's, oh wow. That's how deep you're going into the the mountains and the forest. Nice. That's yeah. going to be nice. I'm sure my legs will appreciate a dirt a dirt marathon after, you know, pounding parks for 5 days. Yeah, and it's it's net downhill and at the time I thought it was a difficult course, but looking back on it, it was an easy course because I ran a 3 34 or 336 there and I said oh you know it must have been hard or I would have qualified but <laughs> no no it's uh I think it was a pretty easy course a lot of a lot of downhill dirt nice yeah nice and you know I'm running a I'm running one in Massachusetts but I'm gonna have to come back and and uh you know my goal is you know 50 marathons 50 states by age 50 but the, another goal in there is qualify for Boston so I've you know I've got some time still on that so I'll be back to Massachusetts again after this one. So I have to double up on Massachusetts, which is fine. Yeah, the Massachusetts state is out uh, races out in Springfield, which yep. is kind of a kind of a rough part of Massachusetts. But I'm sure you'll have fun out there. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're. I'm sure you're. You're kind of maybe <laughs> after Boston, you'll probably be toast. But if you want to come out and and uh, run or or you know have a beer, I'll be out there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I am seriously considering uh, uh, taking some time off. I was telling Eric Strand this week that my body is currently rejecting marathon training like a diseased liver transplant. Oh, yeah. After after the year you've had and coming off of that uh, plantar, you know, you came yeah, off of plantar so, and said, hey, I'm going to take it easy and run uh, 12 and 12. How about that? Well, you've got to make up time. So <laughs> the uh, but yesterday, yesterday, the sun came out. And we got like, well, prior to that, over the weekend, we got like four days of rain. Oh, wow. And then the sun came out and it was like 54 degrees. And I got home about six o'clock last night and I looked up, buddy. I said, dude, we are out of here. Yeah. And we hit the trails for the first time in like five months. And it was the most joyful run. I It was the first time I've enjoyed running for probably four months. Yeah. Nice. Me and the old dog out in the woods, squelching nice. through the mud and slipping on the ice. Yeah. So I think I'll go do that again tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of uh, late night running, and I'm starting to fall in love with that. There's something pretty special about running at, you know, 10, 11 p.m. Just, it's, I, you know, I've got a newborn. She's five months old. And so. Yeah, that's once, crazy. Once everyone's out, uh, you know, I lace up, and, and so that's the only time I can get a run in sometimes, especially with this training for this. And I, I love it. I just I, I and I'll add on. It's one of those runs where you're like, I'm going to go out for six, 
And then you just, it's an out and back, and you just kind of keep going out, kind of challenging yourself. I'm going to end up, you know, and then you end up doing nine or ten. feels great. feels so great. Yeah, when I was um, in my 30s and training for, uh, you know, training pretty hard for uh, Boston, I used to go out after after the kids went to bed, right? So like 10 o'clock, yep. I'd go down the track. <laughs> and that's and it worked out really well because that's when my body was awake. Yeah. And as long as you can get in the habit, the only risk there is that, you know, it comes 10 o'clock, everybody else is in bed. You know, you're putting your shoes on, and uh, the risk there is that you're going to say, okay, I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. Um, <laughs> so as long as you can get in the habit, it's a great time of day to run. Yep. You, your, your body's awake. It's loose. You know, the blood's flowing. It sure beats rolling out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning to run. Yeah, and the weather is usually, you know, if it's, if it's mild, boy, the weather is, is agreeable. You know, it can be a little cold, but that's okay. I, I like running yep. in the cold. Yep, and if you're you're out in neighborhoods, all the dogs are inside. So <laughs> yes. The yes. Uh, but an, an, another nice combination is running at night in the woods. So we used to do headlamp runs, me and my club, some of the crazies, oh. and we just go out and get lost in the trails at night. And that's yeah. a you get like five or six people with headlamps, and you can see fine, <clears throat> and it's it's awesome. That's fun. That's way fun. Yeah. And then you know you might run into a. I don't know what kind of uh, wildlife you have out there, but I did some night running uh, nearby here in uh, raccoon, a uh, couple coyotes, beaver. You know, you see some, you see, that's when you see some crazy wildlife. Justin Beaver. <laughs> Love that kid. He's not, he's not making yeah. any mistakes right now. Yeah, I was out down by the pond yesterday and the beavers were back at work taking trees down. I can't believe how big they, you don't realize how big they are until you see one up close. And those things are huge. Yeah, and they're not happy critters either. No. They're, they're, they're just, they're moody. So <laughs> we used to run at night, and the same I was just talking about, us running at night, and we run by these ponds in the summer, and the beavers, when they hear you, they'll wait till you're right beside them, so, you know, you're like <laughs> 10 feet from the pond, yeah. and they'll slap their tail. Yeah. So you think think at night, and it's really quiet, and, you know, some crickets or whatever, and all of a sudden you're, you'll hear, whack! And they'll slap their tail in the water to scare you. No, I'm serious. No, I believe it. Kind of cool. They're mean. So all we have is turkeys right now. That's fun. I haven't seen anything else, but the turkeys are hanging out in my yard. And uh, they hang out in the front yard, which really pisses Buddy off. Wow. Some ballsy turkeys. Yeah, well, they're pretty big. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, they're crazy. So so how are you going to run five marathons in five days? I, I've never done it, so I'm just doing a lot of. Uh, I'm not. I'm, do, I'm taking zero rest right now. As in, I'll run longer and longer. I've been running longer and longer every day for consecutive days, and then I'll take you know a day off here and there. But just trying to run on tired legs, which seems to be doing really well for me. I'm getting my my. Um, I'm losing weight. My fitness is is. I'm just getting fitter. So again and again, just like you've said before. Running a marathon, it really isn't difficult, especially if you um, if you if you slow down a little bit. So last time I did some uh, my ultra, my last ultra, which was a 50 miler, my buddy and I we came up with this. We always would just yell out all day pace, which is if you start running too fast or if you start slogging and going kind of slow, you get to this little this little zone two pace of and you just call it. We just call it all day pace, and if you can just hold that. And you stay in this comfort zone, but also you're just moving forward at a pretty good clip. You know, all day pace for me is like 10, 30, 11 minute miles. 
So as long yeah. as I can stay at that, I'm good to go. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. I'm, I, I am scared. I've never done five in five days. So I'm, I'll be curious how I go. I'm, I'm kind of thinking after listening to a lot of your guests that day one and two will be okay. Day three and yeah. four will be a suffer fest. And then like, like I've, <laughs> Like I've noticed, like these people that run every day, you know, a- after you run for a while, all of a sudden it gets a little bit easier on the on the. It's kind of a curve. So I'm yeah. hoping that it'll get easier, at, you know, the last couple. Um, but again, I'm ready to suffer through it. I have no problem mentally. I'm there, and you know, there are cutoffs on this on these marathons. But I, I, I hope that I'm finishing way before these cutoffs. Well, they must be pretty generous given the clientele. Yeah, I think it's eight hours. So. Yeah. No, I'm hoping to run the first one in the um in the four in four or something, and then probably stay right around the high, you know, four fifty, four fifty five. I'd love to do all um all six under five hours, and I think I can do that. That's kind of my goal. My training has been going really well, but yeah, yeah. it's just running yeah. running long every day, and you know, long is like run five days in a row, a seven mile seven mile run five days in a row, and then a couple weeks later run about a nine mile run five days in a row. So that's kind of how my training's been going. And, and my legs are getting stronger. It's, it, it feels good. Yeah, the other thing you can do is you can mix in a couple of doubles, you know, like the oh, triathletes yeah. do, mix in some bricks, yep. but they're all running bricks, right? So you run in the morning, yep. and then you run a short run in the afternoon or a short run in the evening. Yep, definitely been doing that. I've also been trying to get out on trails more um, just to kind of help. And I bought some. I went ahead and, Chris, I, I bought some Hoka's. And I'll tell you, I'm in love. I mean, I just, I love them and uh, they feel great. And, uh, you know, I kind of made fun of, uh, I called them clown shoes and uh, made fun of a lot of my friends that were wearing them on uh, on their trail runs, but I love them. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going the distance. Yeah. You know, that's what they're designed for. Yep. So you're thinking that uh, you'll survive this. If, if you don't get injured, it should be should be something. It should be easy, right? Yeah, that's one thing is that I, I'm I've been pretty blessed. Or weather. <laughs> you could run into weather. Tell me about weather in May, in early May in uh, New England. What do you think? It could be anything. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> could be anything. What time do these start? Because it can get really hot in May too. Uh, six. I think there's six a.m. starts. Yeah, so you'll be fine. You'll yeah. be off the course before it gets hot. Yeah, and then yeah. and then it's a matter of just getting calories in me and and getting horizontal, you know, in between each, you know, once I drive to the next hotel. Luckily, uh, I can pick up my bibs and my packet for all five runs on the Sunday before it starts. So I'm definitely going to take advantage of that. So I'm not racing to get to. There's no ex, there's no expo or anything. This is very bare bones, no, but no. yeah, should be cool. So I was thinking, you know, along those lines, when I did that self, uh, I did my own marathon in December. In Groton. Because there are no marathons yeah. Christmas weekend. Right. I was thinking, I, I was going to ask my club if we should start a new race, a new marathon. Just, you know, same thing, right? A cap of 100 people. Yeah. And just lay out a course, and it's December 20, whatever. You know, it's the weekend between Christmas and New Year, whatever that falls on, and say, you know, come come run, right? And, you know, and, I, I think people are really starting now with, you know, kind of rock and roll taking over the world. There's something there's something very uh, takes you back to the roots of running of these kind of, very, you know, no entry fee. Uh, have you heard about the fat ass races, right? The fat ass. Sure. Races they do yeah. kind of the same yeah. idea This you know, just getting back to, hey, we're doing this. Come come along. There's no fee, uh, you know, and you get some volunteers involved and just make it a party. That's not, that sounds great. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, except I'd charge 250 bucks just to make a killing. 
Yeah, I had to put your daughters to work uh, doing some crafted metals, some personalized personalized metals. No, you saw my medals. My medals were made from uh, were made from Christmas ornaments I bought That's at right. the uh, at one of the big box stores, <laughs> and and I, I used the sharpie and wrote the uh, race name on them. Perfect. So uh, only two people finished. I got one hanging right here on my metal rack. <laughs> That's awesome. So, all right. So what what are the links, Joe? Well, uh, I'll shoot you. Um, the best way to do this is just go to Facebook and uh, you put in. Uh, uh, Bears Marathon Challenge, and if you just put in Bears Marathon, it'll pop up. And Bears is spelled a little strangely. It's the animal bear with two S's, Marathon Challenge. And then I'll shoot you the link uh, for the actual uh, fundraising page. But uh, one thing I just wanted to say is that, you know, here in Denver, we've got um, for the spring Girls on the Run program, we've got 2,000 girls doing it in 141 schools in the in the greater Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins, uh, Colorado Springs area. And more than 50% of these girls um, come from lower income communities. So that's why there's so much fundraising going on is because, you know, with, with, with this money, it sponsors these girls in uh, 5Ks that are um, held around Denver and then also helps them out with getting running shoes, et cetera. So it's just, a, it's just a great cause. But yeah, the best way to do it is just go to Facebook. And if you can drop me Literally, you know, a $5 donation would be great. I, I know sometimes I shoot low, but I'm already at 30% to my goal and got quite a bit of time. So I'm just really pushing now to get as many uh, donations as possible and hopefully just do it bit by bit and get there. So it's Bears, B-E-A-R-S-S, Space Marathon Space Challenge. Yep, that's going to be on Facebook. And then if you hit that Facebook. Facebook page, give it a like. And even if you don't want to donate, just like the page and share it. That would be huge, just to get a little bit more traffic and a little bit more, yeah. a little bit more synergy with the page. It's uh, it's exciting. And and you know, this just just this morning, I'm not sure if you've had this with your Liver Foundation um, fundraising, but I've been getting anonymous donations from other people sharing, and that's 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 huge to wake up and see a hundred dollar donation from someone you don't even know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 it is. It's amazing to see people coming out of the woodwork to to help you that you didn't even know were you didn't even know they were friends of yours. Yeah. So exactly. So it's good. It's another another way to to spread the network. <clears throat> yep. Love it. All right. Well, enjoy your spring. I'll let you go and send me all the links. Send me a good picture. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. I will, and uh, I'll shoot you a picture, and uh, I'll send you the link for this. And I just appreciate the time, Chris. Like I said, uh, you've been with me. I think I started listening to you in your uh, uh, episode number thirty something, and then I went back uh, after I, after I would catch up, I would go back and listen to your original episodes. So uh, yeah, the first first five are a little rough. No, but at the at the time, my theory was. Just do it, and you'll figure it out as you go. It's like, it's like <laughs> listening to you know the early tapes of Nirvana. You know, it's like <laughs> it's rough, it's rough, and it's dirty, but it's still good. <laughs> like listening to the early tapes of Edison on the wax cylinders. <laughs> Chris, you're not that old. You're, you you need to stop playing the fifty year old card. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you soon, All right, Joe. Thanks, Chris. All right, ciao. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Six tips for running the Boston Marathon from a veteran mid-packer. My friends, many of you are joining us in Massachusetts this year for the Boston Marathon. This year will be a bit of a circus, but 
The course dynamics haven't changed. Allow me to offer some tips. I have run the Boston Marathon at least 14 times over the last couple decades. I have gotten my ass kicked thoroughly by the course on more than one occasion. I have re-qualified on the course on other occasions, and I even set my marathon personal record on this course. The Boston course is an enigma to many veteran runners. On paper, it is net downhill, point to point. It's a course with significant loss in altitude from Hopkinton to Boston. It should be, if not easy, at least a reasonable course for racing. Then how is it that so many veteran runners limp away from Boston wondering what the hell happened? I hear the same story over and over from first-timers. They felt great, were having fun, and then something awful happened, and the course strangled them like an aggressive boa constrictor in the high miles. What's up with that? In truth, it's it's probably a combination of things. It's a unique course profile. It's a conservation of energy. Allow me to share my thoughts. First, don't waste your energy. Boston is called the Mid-Packers Olympics. It's the holy grail of our sport. It takes so much energy to train and to qualify. When the athlete finally shows up for the event, the magnitude of it can be overwhelming. It gets in their head and it sucks out their energy and leaves them exhausted on the course. The process of traveling to the city and being immersed in the simmering buzz of the race atmosphere for two or three days can leave you exhausted. The expo is enormous, it's packed, there are athletes from all over the world who have earned their spot, and if you aren't conscientious, you can leave your race on the expo floor. The morning of the race, if you are from out of town, they load you onto school buses in Boston early in the morning and begin that long caravan out to the start. And unlike most major city marathons, Boston starts later in the day. If you're in the first wave, you won't get off till 10 o'clock. Subsequent waves start even later. This means you have to conserve your energy from early in the morning all the way out to Hoppington through the high school and on to the starting corrals. And if you get caught up in the buzz, you can lose your racing edge along the way. The smart competitors, the Boston veterans, conserve their energy throughout the weekend. They nap, they read, and they lounge, while the inexperienced get riled up and waste energy. Conserve your energy if you plan on attacking the course and running for a time. Bottom line. Patriots Day weekend in Boston is a swirl of activity and excitement. It takes a lot of riding and walking to get to the starting line from Boston. Don't overdo it and leave your race in the expo. Nap or read the newspaper in the morning because you don't need to be in the corral until mid-morning. Second, be prepared for weather. With the long ride to the start and the late start times, you may not be able to predict what the weather and the wind conditions will be during the race. Most major city marathons will start early in the morning, and you will be off the course before the heat of the day, not at Boston. The last third of your race may be the hottest. The Boston course runs southeast towards the ocean, and the course traverses multiple climates. The first 20 miles should be consistent with whatever the prevailing conditions were at the start, but the last 10K can be quite different. When you drop down into the slump that the city sits in after Heartbreak Hill, you may be confronted by a chilling headwind off the ocean for your final miles. On a hot day, this is a good thing. 
on a cold day or if you're crashing, it can be a bad thing. You just need to be prepared for weather that can change during the day and during the race itself. You need to dress appropriately with alternate outfits and don't be afraid to throw clothes away. But don't be too quick to toss those gloves aside at mile 10. You may need them. Most importantly, expect varying weather conditions and don't let it get in your head. So bottom line, mentally prepare yourself for the changing climates on the course. And third, mind the start. Since you're seated into the corrals based on your qualifying time, your certified qualifying time, the Boston starting corrals are some of the most effective in any large city marathon. The person in front of you, behind you, and beside you also had to qualify for this pace and consequently this space. And But note, if you're a charity runner, if you're in one of the charity corrals, all bets are off. But if you are in a qualified corral, you will get out and on pace fairly quickly with no hassles. Once you cross the starting mat on Main Street, you will be running free for the most part. Each corral holds a thousand runners or so that are all of similar pace. And just before they start the race, they pull the ropes separating the corrals and everyone moves up a little. There's no real advantage to jockeying for position in the corral. Due to the seating, it really doesn't make any difference. There is a reverse funnel set up at Boston, so the course is skinnier in the corrals and wider after the start so that the runners will spread out and break free almost immediately. Unless you're in the first corral, when the gun goes off, you won't actually move. It's a systems dynamics problem you will have the classic accordion effect of people surging and stopping as the corral moves towards the starting line. You've got a chip on. Don't get caught up in this surge. Just keep walking until the pack breaks free close to the starting line. Don't waste your energy trying to fight the tide. Stay calm in the corrals. Don't waste your energy trying to get to the start line. The race doesn't start until you get there. Bottom line, the corrals are very well managed and you will have no problem getting out and getting on pace. Chill out, and don't waste energy jockeying for position at the start. Next, mind your position. When you cross the start line, you will be, for the most part, running free. You may not be on pace yet because of the crowd, but you'll be running free. This first quarter mile is a very steep downhill portion of the course. You don't realize how steep it is because you're caught up in the crowd and the surge of excitement, and it's easy to get carried away in the first half mile. Try to relax and not burn too much leg energy on that first dicey downhill. You've got 26 more miles, and you will need that leg energy. You may feel like the pack is moving too slowly in the first couple of miles, and you may feel like swerving through the pack to get ahead. You're filled with adrenaline, everybody's screaming, and it's easy to waste energy that you will need later in the race. Don't do it. The first couple splits may be a little slow, but the energy you waste in trying to swerve through the pack is energy you're going to need later. If you're looking for an open lane to pass, I find that the left side shoulder of the road has some room because you can drop out into the dirt off the road to pass people if you need to. The bottom line. The first couple miles after the start are steeply downhill with a big pulse of excitement and adrenaline. You need to keep your head and mind your mechanics and your pace so as to not burn up too much leg energy. Next, you need to hold back. 
I must have heard this advice a hundred times when I told people I was going to run the Boston Marathon. They would all say the same thing. Go out easy. And of course, I didn't listen. I crashed on the hills at least a half a dozen times. I could not for the life of me figure out how to pace this course. My default race strategy was to go out hard and hang on. Truth be told, that's how I got my PR in 1998. I ran way over my head. My strategy was to train so well that I could outrun the course. And that's a valid strategy. But if you're not that fit, attacking this course leaves you four to six miles short of the finish line. And that last eight to 10K is a long shuffle. Why does a course that looks relatively easy on paper end up playing so hard on race day? It has to do with the unique elevation profile. Most people will tell you that Boston is a downhill course. It is not a downhill course. It is a downhill, uphill, downhill course with rolling undulations throughout. There are very few places on the course that are actually truly flat. These consistent undulations don't count as hills to us up here in New England, and we usually fail to mention this part. People showing up at Boston expecting it to be downhill are surprised by how much the course rolls. You have to zoom out on the elevation profile to see how much up and down there really is. It starts out with a fairly steady rolling downhill for the first 17 miles. And then it has a rolling uphill for about 4 miles and finishes with a rolling downhill and flat for the last 5 miles. The timing of this is both physically and mentally unfortunate. The hills start at mile 17 just as you're beginning to tire and you find yourself at the base of Heartbreak Hill at mile 20 just where most people are hitting the wall. It's this timing of the difficult parts that crushes people. Just when you're starting to crash, the course gets hard and people give up. The advice to go out easy is really only half of the advice. The real advice should be hold back. Even if you feel like you're going easy on the first 17 miles, you're probably going too hard. In my experience, you should feel like you're holding back for the first 17 miles, like you are actively resisting the pull of the course. This is especially true for the first 10K or so where there is a significant elevation drop and you are still filled with adrenaline. This is where many runners waste their legs without even knowing it. Even if you are not breathing hard, your legs are still being overworked by the early downhill. The bottom line, if you want to still be in the race through the hills and down the slump into Boston, you need to not only go easy, but proactively hold back. Even if you think you're running easy, you should probably slow down some more. And the next tip would be hold back some more. After the first 10K or so, the course flattens out a little, and you will feel like relaxing. There are 10 miles or so of relatively flat course through Framingham before you drop into Newton Lower Falls and confront the first hill. Don't waste this section. This is where you should not only run easy, but hold back some more. One of my best races, I worked with a friend of mine from one of my running clubs. We kept each other in check during these flattish miles leading into the hills. We kept an eye on our garments and on each other, and any time one of us would start to creep out of the pace, the other would pull back. In this way, we get to the hills fresh and rested. Why do you want to approach Boston this way? It is the only way you're going to run a negative split. Unless you proactively hold back on the early downhill sections and then pace well in the subsequent flat sections, 
you are going to go into the hills with an empty tank. And you don't want to go into the hills with an empty tank for two reasons. First, because the Newton Hills may have their way with you, and you'll end up in the death shuffle. And second, because if you can come off the backside of heartbreak with some energy, the last downhill portion of the course is very fast, and you can race it and make up a lot of time. That same year, I made up close to seven minutes in the last 10 miles of the race by holding back and running a negative split. And as a bonus, you'll be passing people like they are stuck in the mud when you accelerate through the hills and back down into Boston. I have never had so much fun as when I have been able to negative split this course. So the bottom line, hold back and hold back some more. Go into the Newton Hills fresh and start to accelerate through the hills. Put yourself in a position to race down the back of heartbreak for an incredible negative split experience. In the first 17 miles, it should feel like you're holding back, like you have an aggressive dog on the leash. As you enter the hills at Newton, start accelerating by 5 to 10 seconds a mile each mile. And when you crest Heartbreak Hill and see the chapel, you can let the dog off the leash and race. Now, I hope everyone enjoys the spectacle of the 2014 Boston Marathon. I'll be there, but I won't be racing. I'll be in the back of the pack, high-fiving the kids and kissing the co-eds. Cheers. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. The green, feathery fingers of spring reach up through the muddy crust and embrace the world. I couldn't run the Eastern States 20-miler this past weekend because I had to be in the city for a conference. I managed a couple hours, uh, I managed an hour of road work and then another hour in the pool instead. They had a miserable day as far as I can see with some, some high winds and some cold drizzle. And it rained consistently for three days at the start of this week. Tuesday afternoon, like a fever breaking, the sun came out and it was 50 plus degrees. I raced home from the city, grabbed Buddy, and we hit the trails. There was still some ice, and the ground wasn't entirely thawed out, but it was glorious. The old wonder dog and I negotiated the mud and puddles, and it was joyous. No Garmin, no music, just a boy and his dog out in the mud and the sun and the spring, the way it should be. The ice hasn't cleared from the ponds, but the frogs are singing and the ducks are nesting, and just like that, it is spring. My trail shoes squelched through the soft forest floor, rolling into pits left by the melting frost. Buddy gallops by, throwing a rooster tail of mud and debris in the air. We dance across the rocks of swollen streams and slide down the muddy slopes. The air is filled with a thick fecundity as life has been unchained. We are reborn. Everything is going to be okay. I've got the Boston Marathon in a couple weeks and the Groton Road Race after that. You can do me a favor, even if you're not coming out to run Groton with us. Uh, just post it or repost it or, or do whatever you can with the link out to your network for the race for me to drive registration. That would be great. Registration and awareness. I've gotten a good response to the Run Run Live Facebook page. So I'll call out again and let you know. Come on by. Tell us what you think. Just search for Run Run Live on Facebook. It's there. I've been working on a 
lifestyle hack this week that has been very successful so far. But it's too early to tell whether I'll be able to sustain it or not, so I don't want to jump the gun and reveal it, but probably by next week. Another one of those keystone habits we were chatting about. It's working out for me. I'm at a meeting in Scottsdale next week. If anyone wants to go run up a a dry mountain on Tuesday morning at the crack of dawn, then I'm out in Chicago the week before the marathon. If anybody wants to go out for a run along the lake, it's spring, folks. Time for rebirth and renewal. Let's get moving. We've got things to do. You, me, and Buddy out on the trails getting it done. Ciao. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao. Oh,